Last Sunday, if you were here, we began this new sermon series, and I said that that as I was reading through Romans 15 and verse 13, it really kind of served as the impetus uh, for this sermon series and this idea of how the God of hope fills us with all joy and peace. But Romans 15 needs to be read in the context of Romans chapter 14. Now, the good news is this. If you were listening to Pastor Scott's prayer this morning, he gave you some great insight as to what was actually happening in that church at Rome that Paul alludes to in Romans chapter 14. Because in Romans chapter 14, there, there are some factions that are arising in the church over secondary issues, not the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not some Gnostic gospel that comes into different sorts of churches. But there is disagreement about two things, food that should be eaten and not eaten, And what are the holy days? And for the Apostle Paul, his concern is this, is he sees that these are secondary issues, but the problem is they can bring destructive behavior to the life of the church. There can be people filled with contempt. There can be people filled with anger because they're so focused on these issues of the foods to eat or the foods not to eat. They're so focused on which days are to be holy days that they 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 cannot listen to each other any longer. Now, it should absolutely not surprise you that conflict was there from the very beginning in the church, right? And that has been, unfortunately, a pattern that has continued day after day, month after month, year after year, generation after generation. But what the Apostle Paul is pushing on is saying, look, you all need to figure out how to welcome and to receive one another, how to accept one another Because your differences are not on major things, but there are differences. And shockingly, there are differences in this church family as well, right? Some of you probably sitting on the same pew watch either CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News, right? You have this, this, this pattern, you, you have certain beliefs, you have certain understandings of how the world ought to work, and we don't always agree. But the Apostle Paul says, And as Scott prayed so well, we must seek unity. And what exactly does that look like? Well, the Apostle Paul then brings this up, and we're going to make our way through a lot of the verses in Romans chapter 15. We're going to start this morning in Romans chapter 15 at verse 5. And what you're going to hear this morning as we eventually make our way all the way through verse 14, Paul has basically three different benedictions or three different blessings that he's offering the church in Rome as they seek to figure out how to live out a life based on hope, but also how to live with one another. We read this in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, this is a great blessing right here, Give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept or welcome one another, then just as Christ accepted and welcomed you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing praises of your name. Again, it says, 
Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, the one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. So I want to go back to verse 7 and kind of spend a little bit of time looking at that. Then IV translates this, accept. Many other gospel or many other accounts of Romans translate it, welcome. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Welcome one another. Like if we're talking about hospitality, we're talking about being a welcoming community, a place where people find this this great gift of hospitality. There is this understanding that the Apostle Paul says, you must learn to welcome one another. To be a welcoming, loving person. To look out for one another just as Jesus himself looked out for you. Just as Christ has welcomed and accepted us, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our attitude, in spite of whatever it is, we are to do the same for others. To receive one another as Christ has received us. I love how Psalm 133 talks about this. There's this this image of, of the psalmist and saying how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And then the psalmist gives an image. And you may recall this image when he, the psalmist is talking about us dwelling together in unity. He says, it is like the oil flowing off the head of Aaron, Aaron the, the first high priest, oil flowing off the head of Aaron onto his beard, onto his robes and down. And the question is, why that image? The psalmist uses that image because the oil that is being spoken of was anointing oil. Well, what does anointing oil do? Well, anointing oil sets a person apart. So when they are anointed, they're set apart for a certain work or a certain service. And the psalmist is saying, when he says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, and he gives you that image of the anointing oil on Aaron, he is saying, this: the, the image is, you must see one another as anointed. The key to hospitality, the key to living in unity, is seeing and recognizing that person in front of us, the person who perhaps we agree with or we disagree with as one who has been set apart by God. Recognizing that Jesus Christ died for them just as he died for us. And, and the, the reality of hospitality and, and, and it, 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 it has to be outward looking and, and, and we have to be moving out. Cause, cause oftentimes what happens, um, particularly for those of us who tend to be more introverted than extroverted, um, of which I classify myself, um, I'm always waiting for somebody else to show me hospitality, right? Like, why is nobody saying hi to me? And then it's like, well, who are you actually talking to, Paul? Like, are you going out of your way? Are you looking for ways to extend God's kindness and God's goodness to the world around you? The Apostle Paul says, welcome one another 
as Jesus welcomed you. And if you recall about Jesus, he was always looking for others. He heard the voices of those who cried out to him. So the Apostle Paul then goes on this huge litany as we continue through Romans chapter 15 and pulls out Psalms and pulls out some prophets and says, this is what God has been doing. That We go, we go back to what we talked about last Sunday, which if you weren't here or you don't remember, um, we talked about this idea that, that God has created this home, this space, this place for us, and God has welcomed us. And if God welcomes us in such a way, then we also ought to welcome one another. And so the Apostle Paul says, now that that welcome has happened, not just to the Jews, but now to the Gentiles, God is expanding the work that he had planned from the very beginning to do. God has welcomed in the outsiders. And so the Apostle Paul quotes a lot of verses from the Old Testament talking about what God has done from the, for the Gentiles. But I want to skip over to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read verses 24 to 28, because for the Apostle Paul, this inclusion of the Gentiles was his mission. You may recall that God, you know, when God strikes Paul down and God, you know, when Jesus speaks to him, he gives him this mission and says, look, you must go to the outsiders. You must go to the Gentiles. You must go to the people who had not been chosen because now they are chosen. And so Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And now here comes this line. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope, there's that word, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the Paul continues on, he finishes with this line. He says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we, and here's Paul's aim, here's Paul's goal, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What does Paul care about? He wants to present people fully mature in Christ. And the only way in which we can welcome one another and accept one another and figure out how it is that we get along with one another is to be fully mature in Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can make sure that that is actually happening is that we have this glorious hope that fills us. Who is Jesus Christ? The glorious hope. You see, we do struggle in this world and we struggle in this society and we struggle in this culture because we lose sight of hope. So I want to look at Romans 15, 13. This is the verse that I alluded to last Sunday. And I want us just to read that and look at that. And like when I read these words, I was like, this, this is what I want. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And then there's that, so that, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace. Uh, but then there's that line. Did you catch that line right there? As you trust in him, like, don't we want, we're like, yes, God, fill me with all joy and fill me with all peace. And this sounds awesome. This sounds amazing. And I still want to go my own way and do my own thing. And God's like, no, 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 no. It's not the way it works. The joy and peace come as we trust in him. You know, this is God's way. You think about the story of, of the Exodus. The people of Israel have been enslaved in, in Egypt for 400 years. God raises up Moses as the liberator. God has Moses go in and say, I'm taking you to the promised land. You will no longer be slaves, but you're going to be free and you're going to be in this place of paradise and, you know, of, of, of the land of Canaan and flows with milk and honey and all this sort of stuff. And then what does God do as they're making their way to the promised land? Remember, he gives them some commandments. You see, God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy and God is a God who calls and God is a God who also says, look, if you want it to go well for you, you need to abide by some certain rules. And so he gives Moses the Ten Commandments and says, I'm making these promises to you, yet you must also be obedient. If you want things to go well, Continue to live by my commands and by my words. But it is easy to lose sight of that. And it is easy to lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus because the voices of the world tend to drown it out. The society and the culture have a great way of pulling us away from God. This weekend, we remember the work of Dr. Martin Luther King and the incredible strides and efforts that he made in seeking to bring justice and equality. And I came across this quote from Dr. King a couple years ago that has stuck with me, and, and I think it ties in well with what we're talking about this morning. And he said this, we must accept, we must accept Finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. See, the Apostle Paul would talk about a hope that is imperishable. Dr. King talks about an infinite hope. We must accept, look, we all know this. I mean, all of us probably have already been, I mean, we're what, 14 days into 2024? We have all already experienced some sort of disappointment, I am going to guess, with the way in which life has gone or with the situations that are around us. But what we must not lose sight of is this infinite hope, this hope that is imperishable, this hope that is supernatural, this hope that comes from above and comes from beyond us because anything of this earth is going to be finite. It is not ultimately going to satisfy. Let me put it to you a different way and then give you a story to back it up. Our hope must be louder than the crowd. Okay, so just let that kind of rest there for a minute. Our hope has to be louder than the crowd. So let me give you a context that you're like, that just sounds kind of weird. What is that talking about? I have a scripture to share with you to back this, this thought up, okay? Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Jesus is, is leaving Jericho. And we read this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a lar- large crowd followed him. 
Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they said, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. What's happening in this story? There's a huge crowd, people thronging around Jesus. That's nothing new that happened all the time. Jesus is making his way out of Jericho and these two blind men are sitting there by the city gate and they're crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. Though they cannot see Jesus, they can yell out to Jesus. And what does the crowd do? Shut your mouth. That's Pastor Paul's paraphrase of what it is. But it's a vile, like what they're saying, it's not pleasant. They're not like, shh, be quiet. It's not that. They are annoyed by these two blind men crying out to Jesus. But what do these men crying out do? They cry out louder because what? Hope must be louder than the crowd. Because what's going to happen in your life and what's going to happen in this world and what's going to happen in this society is you're going to start to lose your hope because the things of this world and the voices of this world and the things that we watch and the things that we experience, and I can go on and on and on and on, guess what they're going to do? They are going to, to drown out your hope. They're going to push down your hope. And you've got to keep crying out like these blind men did to Jesus, Lord God, Son of David, have mercy on us. They were stubborn in their faith. They didn't know if they'd have the opportunity to have Jesus walk by them again. And so they cry out in hope. Son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He stops. How easy it would have been to just keep on walking. To not see the ones who could not see. To not stop and have a conversation with them. But see, there's this hope-based hospitality. And so what is Jesus doing? He's welcoming. He's receiving. And then what does he do? He touches their eyes and they can see. And they get up on their feet and they follow him, rejoicing in what has happened because their hope was louder than the crowd. And because Jesus went out of his way to speak to them and ultimately to heal them. Their lives are forever transformed. And you see, that's what the gospel does for you and for me. 
Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. Another verse on the idea of overflowing. No good tree, Jesus says, bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And then he says this. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then this line. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Out of the overflow of our heart, we speak and we act and we live. You see, Jesus is giving an image here of transformation. That we are known by our fruit. But what sort of fruit are we bearing? Because when we go back to these words of the Apostle Paul and we pray, Lord, God of all hope, will you fill me with joy and peace as I follow you so that my life might be an overflow of the hope I have in you? That's what Luke 6 is describing, is a person whose life has been utterly changed by the gospel. They live and act and speak in a different way because they have been encountered by the goodness of Jesus Christ. And you see, it is then that we now start to live into this as we think about how we ought to be living. Now, the Apostle Paul has one more blessing, and I want to end with this because sometimes I think, you know, what I don't think this. I don't ever want people walking out of church feeling as though they're beat up, okay? Because I think sometimes preachers and teachers have a way of, you know, we're really good at pushing the guilt sometimes and making you feel like, oh, I don't feel really good. Um, I don't want to do that. I might want to do that someday, but I'm not going to do that today, okay? Um but especially when it comes to hospitality, because I want you to be like, no, this is great. And we've got this and we're going to do this and we're going to live into this. And we're not going to just do it this morning. when We walk out in the courtyard and we hang out with people we don't know. We're going to try and be intentional about how is it that I'm looking for others whom I can show what the love and goodness of Jesus Christ looks like. So the apostle Paul, as he's starting to wrap things up, here's verse 14. I want to close with this one. He says, I myself am convinced. Remember, this is a church that's got some conflict going on. I am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Folks, you all are filled with goodness. You are filled with knowledge of the wonder and the beauty of God. You have it within you to instruct others, to show others as you walk out these doors. So I have a question. What's your hope level at right now?
You don't have to answer that out loud. But how is it with your soul when it comes to the idea of hope? Is your hope louder than the crowd right now? Because trust me, the crowd will be pushing it down. But is your hope louder than the crowd? Are you willing to cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I need some hope. I need some trust. I need some faith. Perhaps that is a cry that you need to start making because you're recognizing that the world around you and the voices around you and the things you're listening to, they're just squashing your faith. And you need the faith of those two blind men, which I love that there's two of them in this narrative because they get to encourage each other along the way, right? They get to be there for one another when the other one's like, eh, I'm having a bad day. They're like, no, we got to keep yelling. We got to keep going. My friends, is your hope louder than the crowd? Because when you cry out like that, the promise is this. Jesus will meet you. Jesus will see you. Jesus will welcome you. Just as he has welcomed so many others. Pray with me, please. Lord, give us faith to trust. Give us faith to hope. Lord, it is easy to get bogged down in the finite disappointments of life. It is easy to lose sight of you and the infinite hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us faith to cry out. Give us faith to hope. Lord, we want to be a people who overflow with hope. Out of the fullness of our hearts, Lord, we want to be able to speak your goodness and your grace. We want to look for ways in which we can intentionally show a gracious and generous hospitality, just as was first shown to us. Give us strength to do that, Lord, and give us the discipline to do that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.